0: The following sermon is a ministry of hilton head presbyterian church for more information visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com again this morning to the apostles creed after taking a couple of weeks to celebrate palm sunday to celebrate easter it was a great week i hope that many of you and i know that many of you participated in those services and came and some of you are back Uh, after visiting with us, and we're honored to have your presence here with us today. That we serve this Christ, this risen Christ who gives us a peace uh, within this world that transcends uh, the world uh, that isn't based on circumstance, because we all know that circumstances change. They can change in a heartbeat for you. And if your joy and if your peace uh, are, are set upon those things, then you'll never find joy, and you'll never find peace. And if you do, it will be fleeting at best. And so we find in Christ this great hope. And it is a hope that has been set for us in the Scriptures, but then has been communicated throughout the course of the life of the church through creeds, through statements of faith. And so we're coming back to this, the Apostles' Creed, not written by the apostles, but written by the early church fathers, uh, put together so that it could help communicate and teach those who were within the church. And we've said of the creed that it has no uh, power and light in and of itself, but like the moon that reflects the power and the light of the sun, uh, the Apostles' Creed reflects the power and the light uh, of God's Word. And so we are studying God's Word while looking at the Apostles' Creed. And we said that it brings to our lives a balance or symmetry that it helps us understand that maybe we get out of line on certain things uh, and we need to be brought back into that symmetry. It helps with clarity to understand certain things in our lives. It, it defines our community, and it gives us counsel both to ourselves and to others. If someone is wrestling with feeling isolated and not loved by God, we begin with, I believe in God, our Father." So you can counsel the heart of another person by taking them through the creed to the scriptures which says God is your father. He loves you. He dotes on you. He he has adopted you as his own. And so it brings counsel to our hearts and to the hearts of others. We've also said that the creed is simultaneously an act of allegiance where we stand and we pledge allegiance. Some of you are old enough to remember standing in grade school or standing in your uh, growing years of in the classroom and you would stand and place your hand upon your heart and said, I pledge allegiance to this country. I pledge allegiance to America. I pledge allegiance in this way. And we're doing that. We're saying, not just I know, but I believe. I pledge my allegiance to these truths. They shape me. They form me. They are my DNA. It's the motherboard upon which all of it is the the writing of code within me. And I act based on this internal code that I believe, not just know. And so we're pledging allegiance, but we're also defying Uh, the world. We're standing and we've said along uh, a bunch of different isms, but today we'd say we're rejecting the creed of hedonism, which says today, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Enjoy today, the pleasures of today. We reject that outright and and say that today is important, but it's not all that there is. There is an eternity and there's a future, and, and we have our hope in something more than that. We reject the creed of pluralism, uh, which used to say that it's okay to have differing opinions within the marketplace, that it's good to have differing opinions. But there was one truth. Now pluralism has been redefined to say all things are equally true, and for one group or one individual to say anything is true truth uh, is hateful and it is closed-minded and uh, it is small. And so we reject that, to say there is a true truth. The truth of God's Word, and we stand upon that truth. So in light of that, I am going to ask you to stand this morning, and we're going to recite the creed together as it's on the screen. And around the world this weekend, Christians have been saying this in one form or fashion. So Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. And so we come this week to the portion of the creed which says, I believe in Jesus Christ and he will come from the right hand of God the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And as I thought about this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at in Revelation 22, and just the theme of this, this is what keeps so many people from church. And for some of you, as maybe you're tipping your toe back into church, you're going to go, here it comes, the hellfire and brimstone judgment. God's out to get me. He's this horrible, mean God. And all this, I hope to present this to you in the way that the Scriptures present it to us. And the scriptures present it in a way uh, that is weighty. It is heavy in it because it's speaking of eternal things. It's speaking of definitive things. It's speaking that there is a line, that there is a true truth, uh, and there is a true king and judge at the end of the day. But it is one that is filled with mercy and with grace and with opportunity and with invitation. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Revelation, chapter 22, all the way to the very right of your Bible, that last little bit that you never really look at uh, over there. And we're going to pick up and begin reading at verse 6. So if you have your Bibles, would you hear now the word of the Lord? And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. So we come to this incredible passage, the last passages of the scriptures, of the 66 books of the canon. We see John, the beloved one, the pastor, Uh, in his old age as he'd been uh, cast off to Patmos to suffer and to exile there for his faith, but a pastor at heart writing this book of Revelation that he had seen uh, in a a divine uh, dream, as it were, uh, of seeing and being transported even into the very presence of God and seeing these things. We studied Revelation together last year. But John, the pastor of saying, I want to tell you these things because they're important, because I love you enough to communicate to you those things which are a sweet balm to your soul and also those things which may be an abrupt wake-up call to your soul, for it is love in both ways. And so John comes, and like the loving professor at the beginning of a semester, if you remember those days, some of you are in the middle of them, who says to you, at the end of the semester, we're going to have a cumulative comprehensive exam, and it's going to be on this date, so you should be prepared. That's loving, by the way. An unloving professor would surprise you and say, okay, by the way, today, we're giving you a cumulative comprehensive exam, and your entire grade is built upon the grade that you get today. That's an unloving an unjust professor. But John, the loving pastor... Communicating the words of Christ, the loving judge, of Christ, the loving and just king is saying, folks, there's a day coming when I'm going to return that we just celebrated uh, the the beautiful resurrection of Christ. And in 40 days within uh, the liturgy of the church, there would be an Ascension Sunday when Christ ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father waiting to return again. But in his next return, it will not be in humiliation. It will not be riding on the back of a small donkey uh, in the form uh, that it takes on no beauty No glory, but it says that he will ride with all of the armies of heaven and all of the hosts of heaven coming and in it to make all things right and new, that it will be the death of death, that it will be the end of all things that are opposed to him, and the true king will ride on to the field, and every knee shall bow. Both those who oppose him and those who are with him, they will bow. Some in his majesty and glory and others in absolute fear and dread. But all knees will bow, for he is going to return. You see, this theme of the return of Christ, this theme uh, of judgment that comes, it's been called the blessed hope of the scriptures, 300 times, more than 300 times in the New Testament It is it brought up. Do you realize that? 300 times. In the New Testament, it speaks. So it's definitely on the mind of the early Christians. That one of the cries within the early Christian church was Maranatha. You may have heard that there was a a movement within the 70s of the Maranatha movement. And it was, come, Lord, come. It was this belief that Christ is going to return. and, And it was a beautiful thing for Christ to return. And for the Christian, it was, come, Lord, come. Make all things right and new. One of the greatest barriers to our drawing strength from this great truth, this truth that is communicated over and over almost to the point of redundancy within the New Testament and even in the Old Testament is the fact that we are caught so worldly-minded, that we are so focused with today. An honest question for you. Did any of you, as you woke this morning, the first thoughts that came into your mind, were they something like this? Christ's return is imminent. And I'm going to live today as if he's going to return today. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to live in a manner that honors him. I'm going to be motivated in all that I do. So most of us never even entered into our mind. Our minds were something like this. Oh, my goodness, I overslept. i got to get looking nice because I don't want people to judge me at school. i got to get the kids ready because no one can think that we're not a great family and have to have the kids uh, going to school. I've got to get this. Oh, my goodness, we're supposed to have lunch with these people, and I don't really want to have lunch with these people, but they invited us, so I think I'm going to have to go have lunch with them today. And then what are we going to do? And crud, it's Sunday, which means Monday is on the way, and I've got to start the work week today. And, oh, man, is anybody going to be in my seat? Are there going to be parking? What in the world? That's how our day started. For mine, it started like this. Lisa and I have begun trying to change our lifestyle and eating some things. My three sons were around last weekend, and they looked at me and said, Dad, we love you. You're overweight and you're out of shape. We love you. So my morning started like this. What the heck can I eat? I'm starving. That was my thought today. But for the saints of old. It was, be prepared, Christian. Christ is standing ready to return whenever the Father says, okay, now. And it can be any moment. It could be today. And so we need to be prepared. So a few things that we're going to talk about briefly this morning. One is simply this, that there will be a judgment. Judgment. There will be a judgment we'll look at a couple of the characteristics of that judgment and then we will look at and see that the knowledge of the final judgment gives to the Christian great hope and great peace and then ask the question really does the knowledge of the final judgment motivate you in your life does it wake up your soul at all so a couple of things just in that there will be a judgment. I said it's a constant theme within the Scriptures. Listen to some of these passages of Scripture just to reinforce so you go, it's not just Bill saying it, but it is actually the Word of God saying it. Psalm 96, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. They sing for joy before the Lord because he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Matthew 19, Jesus himself says to his disciples, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You see that Jesus is saying that in some sense we The people of God will be in this judgment with him in some way. Revelation 22, behold, I am coming, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done, the passage that we're looking at today. You see, Jesus is saying throughout the scriptures and the prophets of old are saying that it is coming, that there will be a judgment. You can either reject that or accept it. If you say that you want to be people of the book, and you say that uh, we don't want it to just inform us, but we want it to have it as a very part of who we are, to set down in us, to give us balance, part of the balance is this, there will be a judgment at the end of the day. There will be a reckoning at the end of the day. And so within this judgment, within this, we see uh, Jesus is the appointed judge, That though we're in some mysterious way participating with him, I'm not going to even begin to try to unpack that because I don't fully understand it. But I know that he says we're somehow engaged in it. But Jesus is the one who is appointed to judge And he will return. And he says that the Son of Man will be revealed in glory, sitting on a glorious throne, surrounded by his angels. That part of his role and function in his ascension to the right hand of God is he is the one who is going to judge. That he is the one when all of the living and the dead, the quick and the dead, the living, those who are alive when he returns, and those who have passed away prior to his uh, coming are going to be judged. And it says that this judge is a just judge. Is that good news, that he's just? It's always good news to have somebody who's just because if you've been in a class, if you've been in a situation of work or in life, and there's inequity or there's an arbitrary rule or scale, you find no comfort or peace in that because you don't know what the line is. And so you walk in and you say, Mom, Dad, this is what I did, and you're expecting reward, and all of a sudden you realize they changed the line. They changed the criteria. Jesus is a just judge, and he's given very clear lines of demarcation. He is a God who is holy and perfect, and one who says that he can't have within his presence even the sight of sin. And so we know that he is holy, and he is just. And he is consistent in his judgments. And we can place our faith in that. And so we know that he is one who says this, I'm going to punish evil. I'm going to destroy all that stands in opposition to me. And for some of you, that is the catch that says, ah, I want to have nothing to do with this God. But you also need to hear the second part of it which he is not just a just and holy God, but he is a merciful God. There's mercy to be found in him. Ezekiel says in a number of occasions, listen, but if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him for the righteousness that he has done shall live. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. And later in Ezekiel, he says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? This God who is just and holy takes no pleasure He's not sadistic when he looks at the fall of humanity. But it says that he has a deep and profound desire that many and all would turn to him through Jesus Christ. For he said he sent his son into the world that we might believe in his son and find this hope. So know this about this God, this judge that we had. He's incredibly merciful, even until your last breath. But at the very last of turning, it says in the parables that even if you are the one who worked in the field only for a little while in the afternoon, you receive the same as the one who's worked in the field from the very beginning of the day. God is merciful and just, forgiving the sins of those who call upon him. And this God, this just judge, this Christ, he will judge, it says in Revelation 22, accordance with our lives. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Romans 2, 16, Paul writes, On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So Paul was saying that even the secrets of men will be discovered, uncovered, unveiled, and judged by Jesus. He writes later in Corinthians, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I don't know about you, but that's a bit unsettling. Does it bring you comfort that God knows every single thing about you, every thought, every emotion, every deed that you've ever done? Because we're going to have to give account on that day. You see, here's what I'd like to say to you as Christians our actions matter. Our actions matter. I'm not bashing the heritage, for it's a wonderful time for many people. But as I walked around, especially on Saturday, and witnessed people who claimed the name of Jesus, overwhelmingly intoxicated, involved in lifestyle and living that showed no care or concern at all, for Christ, to say, it matters. How you live matters. Young person, it matters. Older person, it matters. Jesus is saying, it matters how we live. Because one day we're going to have to stand and say, this, the most difficult funeral that I've ever had to do in my life and continue to have to do in my life is the funeral of a person who has shown absolutely no sign within their life of anything that resembles a Christian life. Nothing in total disregard for God's Word. But yet, as a young boy, they marched up the aisle in their little church. They went as a teenager to summer camp uh, and had an emotional experience with Jesus and got Jesus bumps all over. Uh, And they sang the songs, and they thought, this is it. But the rest of their lives, and there's a sense of saying, your actions matter because your actions actually show the condition of your heart. It doesn't mean we don't mess up, by the way. Anybody mess up this week? You're in good company if you look around. We all mess up. So it's not saying perfection, but it's the tilt of our heart. It's saying, I want to honor the Lord. I don't want to willfully go uh, into these other places. For God says that we will be judged in accordance with our lives. That we're going to have to stand and give testimony to what we have placed our faith in. And so the question here comes, what are you going to say? When you stand before God, and you will one day. I don't mean this to scare you. I love you enough to tell you this. That if you stand before God and he says, let's look at your life. And you say, Lord, I know I've messed up a lot. But I've placed my faith in this man standing next to me, Christ. And he's my judge. And it's his righteousness of which I stand upon and not my own. For I know that my righteousness could never, ever, it couldn't make the grade. Are you going to cast yourself upon the righteousness of Christ and in that say, this is my hope? Or are you going to stand on your own? For there's an interesting place when Jesus is talking. He says, on that last day, one of the 300 and some passages of Scripture, on that last day, Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I tithe? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And in the day when they should be casting themselves upon the very resume of Christ, they're reading their own resumes. On the day when the trumpet sounds and the true king comes, they are the ones who are tooting their own horns, as it were. Max Licato does a wonderful job of explaining that and enjoying this beautiful picture. But in that day, where are you going to stand? It's important to consider that. And I know it's weighty. I can just feel it in the room. It's not in something you go, thanks, preacher. It's awesome. I'm going to go out and enjoy the rest of my day. But I want you to consider it. Because I've talked to a number of people recently who've had diagnoses of cancer. Others who've lost a loved one. very dear friend of mine at 49 years old who went through a surgery that he wasn't supposed to make it through and by God's grace he made it through you never know you never know you can't control tomorrow wealth can't control your health education can't control your health it can't control what may happen if you drive uh, out today and you cross over Gumtree, and somebody decides they're going to run the red light and it's your day you need to be prepared today to come and to meet the king And so this knowledge now that you have, this knowledge of the final judgment that's coming, it should give to you as a Christian, it should give you great peace and great hope. We have hope. You see, the biblical thoughts of a final judgment lead us to hope because believers in this world often experience the injustice and the sin of this world. Yes, we ourselves sin and we we deal with that. But we're also caught in the injustice of the world. And we look around and we wonder, how long, Lord? How long till things are going to be made right? And it gives us a great peace and a great hope that the true judge is going to make all things right and good one day. Isn't that awesome news? Isn't it freeing news? Because guess what that means? If Jesus, the ultimate and true judge, is going to make all things right and new, and he's going to recompense judgment, and he's going to do that, guess what that means about you? Guess who that means isn't doing it? You. You don't have to be the judge and jury. It absolutely frees you to love people instead of having to judge them. How many of you have judged a person this week? Any of you? Oh, I did. Why are you driving so slow? Don't you know how a circle works? I can't understand why you're texting on the phone because you are now weaving and you're in front of me and you shouldn't text. Oh, i got to talk to Matthew as I drive and text because he's my son and i got to get in touch with my son, but I'm really angry with you for doing it. And, and then there's the judgment of, oh, my goodness, somebody let their dog poop in my yard this week. How could a person ever do such a thing? They should be damned. Ugh how this horrible, and I just feel the pressure of judgment, of needing to recompense the world, that I read the papers of ISIS, that, that I look around, and I say, this is wrong, and I become burdened and overwhelmed by it, but the beauty of the fact that there's a judge who's going to come and make all things right, and all things new in his time, not my own, frees me to go, it's all right, Maybe that wonderful person in front of me is lost because Hilton had his dad gum confusing. There's little bitty signs and it's dark and you don't know where to go. And maybe I should just be kind and loving towards that individual. Maybe the dog poop in my yard was from this wonderful neighbor who is about 85 years old and walks her 85-year-old dog around. And the only way to get the dog to move is she puts a little treat in front of it. And so there's treats all along the street. In our neighborhood, and maybe it was her dog, and maybe she didn't have the energy to clean it up, and maybe instead of condemning her, I should just go clean it up, and maybe even walk across the street and ask her if there's anything she needs, because one thing I know that she needs is Christ, because she doesn't know Him. And here I am angry about her dog pooping, and I'm not upset about the fact that she doesn't know the King of Kings. It frees us in this way that we have a hope that we don't have to be the judge, that we can be at peace and we can know that at the end of the day, justice will be had. Justice will be had. And it humbles us in the middle of it as well. Because if we say of this person, they deserve judgment, we have to turn the mirror on ourselves and say, so do I. But yet I have Christ. How incredibly merciful that God gave me Christ. And what he should have given me was judgment, and Christ took it for me. And so the knowledge of this judgment, final judgment, gives us great peace and great hope uh, in our lives. Another thing that we learn is that the knowledge of this final judgment should motivate us to Christian living. It should motivate us for Christian living. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. There's something that affects us to say, I don't want to be ashamed of Christ. He's not ashamed of me, and he's going to stand before his Father, and he's going to say, Bill McCutcheon's taken care of. I've never once in my life been ashamed of him, for he is mine and I've loved him, and I care for him. It motivates how we live. It motivates us. If you were to look at Matthew 24 and 25 of all the pictures and the stories of the master who's going to return home, of the ten virgins who are there, the story of the talent, all of it is Jesus exhorting his disciples to be ready to be prepared when he comes home. I tell parents this all the time. Here's a great little motivator for your kids. And you want to say, my sweet Johnny, my sweet Susie would never do this. So I don't, it doesn't matter. Well, yes, your sweet Susie and your sweet Johnny probably need to know this. If mom and dad are going out of town and you're coming back Sunday night, show up early. Show up early. If you tell them that you're going to be coming home at midnight on Saturday night, show up at 9 just for the heck of it. See what's going on. And then if your kids begin to realize, we're not exactly sure when mom and dad are going to be home, you're going to say, oh, Bill, that's an external behavioral model, and it's just morphing my kid into something. I want it to come from the inside. Jesus didn't agree with that sentiment. He said this, you're not going to know when the master returns, so you better be prepared at every moment for when he returns. And here's what we do. He ain't coming back today. He's probably not even coming back tomorrow. Heck, it's been 2,000 years. What's another 1,000 to him? It's like a day. And so he'll take some time, and we're good. I'll get around to dealing with Jesus tomorrow. I'll deal with him when I'm older. I hear it from teenagers all the time. I just want to live. I just want to go through college. I just want to have the 20s. Can't I just have fun for a while? I'll get to Jesus later you never know when the master's going to come home. You never know when mom and dad are going to pull in the driveway and surprise you. I was talking to a father the other day, and I said, have you ever just walked out with your kids or out in the, at the campfire with all the boys, the teenagers hanging out? You ever just walked out there to say, hey, how are you? He goes, no, why would I want to do that? It's like, you should probably do that. You never know what you might find. He did that, and he came to me recently. and said, oh my gosh. I was like, yeah, teenage boys. You've heard the math of teenage boys, right? One teenage boy, there's one brain. Two teenage boys, there's half a brain. Three teenage boys, it's incrementally down. <laughs> so you put them all together, you need to show up every now and then. And that's what the Lord said. It motivates us. Peter said this The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, remember what we asked. What's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, because the end of all things is at hand, Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the very strength that God provides in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The motivation for all of that he's coming back soon so for us as Christians here's a great exercise for us today what would you do today differently if you knew Christ was coming back in the morning sadly for some of you you're thinking I would go get all these good sins out of the way I'm going to go hedonistic I'm going to just go nuts for others of you, hopefully, if Christ truly is in your hearts, you would say, I'm going to go talk to my neighbor. I'm going to go be reconciled to a loved one. I'm going to tell my spouse that I love him deeply. I'm going to care for my kids a little bit more. I'm going to do these things motivated by the beauty of the fact that Christ is going to return. And for some of you here, this should be a wake up call. What are you placing your hope in? Is it enough to stand? Or is it as if Jonathan Edwards says, are you placing your hope in your own righteousness, which is like putting your hope in a spider web that would catch the tumbling boulder down the mountain? It has no strength to catch your soul. And so my encouragement would be for you, turn to the very one who's offered himself to you. Go to his righteousness, not your own. Allow him to now not just be your judge, but your Savior together in that beautiful communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for heavy and hard words. We live in a world that likes light and fluffy, that we don't enjoy gravitas. And it's important, though, that we talk about eternal things. So I pray that those who know you would be assured of that, And that there would be a great peace in their lives. That their salvation is wrapped up in the very righteousness of Christ. His perfections given to us. And that we are safe and that we are secure. And that we live our life in incredible freedom. Freedom not to go after the pursuits of the flesh. But a freedom to pursue the very things of the spirit. And for those who may be here and are unsure. I pray that today they would become sure. That they would pray and they would be heard by you. That you, the just and merciful God, as you hear their prayers of repentance, that in your mercy you would receive and in your justice you would see on Christ the very marks of their judgment and that you would take them as your own. Father, we praise you today. And we, like the church historic, say Maranatha. Come, Lord, come. But until then, we believe these things. We stake our lives upon them, and we live them out day to day. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing of this belief that we have, of these truths expressed in the Apostles' Creed.